0: Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast called Behind You, where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murder, cults, disappearances, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can tune in every Tuesday on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you can find podcasts to listen to the audio version, Or you can head over to my YouTube channel, Haley Elizabeth, every Wednesday and watch the visual version. If you are watching the visual version, I know I said last time that I was going to like figure something out. (laughs) I do have decorations. I just haven't put them up yet they are fall decorations. I'm sorry. Once it hits August, it's fall. Like, I don't care if it's 80 degrees, it's fall. You know, like, I'm putting up pumpkins, I'm whipping out my docks, it's fall time. But in today's case, we are going to be talking about the case of Lee Harvey, and there is a lot to get through, so let's just hop right into it. On December 1st of 1996, Tracy Andrews and her fiance, Lee Harvey, were driving home from a night out drinking. On their way home, they encountered a road rage incident involving a black Ford Sierra, who to which continued to pursue Andrew and Lee's car all the way home, flashing their brights, driving really, really close to their back, until eventually Lee and Tracy decided to pull over. Lee got out of the car to confront the black Sierra, Era, and that is when it was reported the passenger of the other car pulled out a knife and continuously started to stab Lee. Through Tracy's story, it was said to be a completely random attack purely fueled by road rage, but behind the scenes, as the police started to discover more and more evidence from the crime scene as well as witness statements, they start to question the validity of Tracy's story at all and even if there was a car pursuing them in the first place. Tracy Andrews was born on April 9th of nineteen. 19- 1969 in Birmingham Church in the United Kingdom. She was raised by her mom, her dad, her older sibling, her younger sibling, as well as several half-siblings. Her mother and father divorced when she was very young, around six years old, due to her parents' constant fighting. After the divorce, her mom eventually got remarried to another man. This man was said to be a lot better for Tracy's mom, but since, as I said, she had several half-siblings, siblings as well as an older brother and an older sister. Tracy did not receive that much attention as a kid just because there was a lot of kids in the house all the time. But due to this, as she got older around her teenage years, that is when she decided to pursue modeling and it was always her biggest dream to become a famous model. She was getting a couple of photo shoots, a couple of test shots, she was getting her headshots done, and she even left school at 17 years old in order to pursue modeling. Modeling. In 1990, at the age of 21, that is when she grew pregnant with her daughter Carla. The relationship with Carla's father only lasted around a year. The father, or Tracy's partner at the time, would later go on to say that during the relationship, Tracy was very, very toxic. She was very explosive. He explained that Tracy had a temper and always wanted things to be about her or with her. He couldn't ever go out with his friends without her and she would get jealous very very easily if even a simple female co-worker was speaking to him. She also grew very very possessive over him and he even speculates that Tracy possibly got pregnant as a way to trap him because if he was always at home with the baby then he would always be at home with Tracy and this was a way for her to keep tabs on him all the time to make sure that he's not doing anything he's not supposed to. But the couple did eventually break up after a year and they decided to do co-parenting. So on the weekends, Carla would stay with her father and during the week, she would stay with Tracy. Then in 1994, at 25 years old, she was living in a council flat. They're basically apartments or flats as they're called in the UK, uh, provided by local government. And the rent at council flats are fairly very low and they're usually sold to people who have a low income. It was at this council flat where she lived with her daughter Carla, and she worked a part time job as a barmaid, which is another UK term for a female bartender. And she worked at this like bar and grill called the Red Lion in Alvechurch. And that same year, at 25 years old, in October of 1994, that is when Tracy and her friends decided to go out for a night out at a place called Ritzy's Nightclub in Birmingham. And it was at this nightclub where she she met 25-year-old Lee Harvey. Lee Harvey, same with Tracy, also had a daughter of his own named Danielle, and Danielle and Carla were ironically around the same age. Lee Harvey was born on September 20th of 1971 in West Midlands, England. He grew up with his mother, Maureen, his father, Ray, and his older sister, Michelle. Lee was described to be, from family and friends, very, very outgoing. He was a bus driver for public transit he always had very good spirits when he was on the job like I don't know if you guys have ever had like a school bus driver or a public bus driver that like is just always in a good mood like they're just always laughing and joking and greeting everyone that gets on the bus that is basically the type of bus driver that Lee was Lee also had a very big interest in cars as well he loved to watch like F1 racing and motorsports. He was also a very big mama's boy. He loved his mother very very much as well as his older sister Michelle. In October of 1994 at this nightclub when Lee and Tracy met it was said that immediately when they met each other they felt like it was kind of a sign that they both had a daughter and they both were around the same age because that means possibly their daughters could grow up together like sisters and the couple moved quite quickly in their relationship. Only three months after knowing each other that is when Lee moved in with Tracy as I said with Tracy's previous relationship um, her partner said that she was very explosive she had anger problems and that is exactly what happened in this relationship as well Tracy was very fiery in this relationship and since she was very angry it kind of made Lee angry as well it was said that the both of them were very possessive and they would easily get jealous of one another and as i said every time tracy would get super angry lee would also get super angry so this would lead to constant fighting all the time sometimes with both of the girls in the household and danielle goes on to say that she remembers this one instance saying quote i remember being at tracy's one night and hearing them shouting at each other carla and i were in her bedroom watching a video as the shouting got louder We put pillows over our heads so we couldn't hear. And then in April of 1995, just six months after dating, that is when the couple got engaged. This relationship was said by family, friends, and neighbors that it was just not a good relationship. They went through many ups, many downs. They would be constantly going through breakups and makeups. The neighbors recall specifically that there were multiple occasions where Tracy would throw all of Lee's clothes out the window or in black garbage bags and just throw his clothes out to the side of the road or even just out the window while screaming. There were also many times where Tracy went to the landlord saying that she needed to change the locks on her apartment. And again, this was multiple times within the span of six months. Every time Tracy would throw Lee out, the couple would be broken up for no longer than a week and a half before Lee came back and tried to make things work again. And this cycle continued over the next two years. The couple would be in love one day and then a bunch of little things that aggravated them would happen, which would then lead to one big explosive fight. That one big explosive fight would either lead to Tracy kicking out Lee, throwing his clothes to the curb, or just breaking it off in general. But then Lee would later return, they would make up and then break up and then the cycle just continued. It was said that in their relationship, Lee was definitely the peacemaker of the situations. Tracy never apologized for anything that she did, but Lee just felt so bad and so he would start apologizing for things that weren't even his fault. He just felt like he was the one who always had to apologize in every fight and he would always come back to her after every fight and he would also try to calm down Tracy if he realized that if they were in public or something and she was going to be causing a scene so it seemed like Lee was definitely the more calmer one of the situation he was the one that kind of tried to bring things down but of course naturally if someone is yelling at you you're gonna want to yell back or if someone's mad at you you're gonna get mad back and that's kind of how the relationship went for an entire two years so now that you know how the couple met and their relationship at the time of December 1st when Tracy says that there was a mysterious car following them home. This is when Tracy went to the police station and this was Tracy's line of events of how that night went. Tracy and Lee had been arguing all day long, going back and forth and bickering, and that is when Lee suggested that they would go out to a bar, have a couple of drinks, you know, be around some people, and just try to relax from all of this. So they went out to the bar and then after the bar, Lee was driving and that is when they were involved in a road rage incident between Lee and another man in a dark Ford Sierra that started following them home. Tracy said that this car was being an absolute wreck the entire ride home. They were like right on their bumper. They kept on flashing their brights at them. They were honking at them just being an absolute disruption and then Lee eventually just got fed up so he pulled to the side of the road. He got out of the car to confront the driver. Tracy just stayed in the car. It was said that at this point, Lee and this driver were having a big altercation. That is when the passenger of the other car stepped out of the car and started to attack Lee. Tracy said that since she was in the car, she couldn't really see what was going on. Tracy sees this from the rear view mirror and she tells investigators, quote, I'm not the kind of girl to sit there and watch my man get Attacked. She gets out of the car to try to defend Lee. While she's trying to defend Lee, the passenger of the other car looks at Tracy and slaps her in the face. He continues to fight off Tracy while he's also hurting Lee. And at one point, the passenger had gotten a really big hit on Tracy to the point where she was going in and out of consciousness. She says that from this point forward, she can't really remember what was going on because things were a little foggy. But all she does does remember is that when she finally came to she woke up in front of lee's car and the other car was gone and lee was laying right next to her with blood all over him so she went over to him and tried to cradle him and wake him up and this whole altercation was happening in front of an airbnb called keeper's cottage so since it was so loud the man who owns keeper's cottage came out he comes out of the house he goes to the end of the driveway he sees what's going on, and that's when he calls the police. When the police show up, they find Lee's car, Lee's body, and Tracy inside of Keeper's Cottage being taken care of by the staff there. But unfortunately, when the police and ambulance got there, it was indeed too late, and 25-year-old Lee Harvey was confirmed dead at the scene. The police on site started to take a bunch of notes while they were investigating the scene, and they noted that the car, was neatly parked. It didn't seem like Lee was in a hurry or anything. Usually, you just kind of swipe to the side of the road if you're mad or in a hurry, but in this, it seemed very neatly parked. Tracy Andrews was taken to the hospital to treat her wounds as well as getting a full report of what exactly happened. Tracy tells the police the same exact story that I just told you, so naturally, the police organize a large manhunt for the two men in a black Ford Sierra. So soon after this happened, it became a really big story in the press because this was a road rage incident. You know, you always see people getting beat up in road rage incidents or sometimes, you know, as little as just throwing the finger or something, but someone actually died due to a road rage incident. So that is what made the media want to cover this story even more. So then on December 3rd of 1996, two days after the murder of Lee Harvey. That is when there was a press conference being held where Tracy would answer the media's questions about the murder, about what she remembers, and thus having all of the attention of the media on her. The journalists remember that at this press conference, as soon as Tracy walked in the room, it lit up with camera flashes. When Tracy showed up to this press conference, she showed up looking very tired, disheveled, as well as too black eyes tracy was very weirdly okay with handling the media you know like usually if you see your love of your life getting murdered two days prior you wouldn't even want to talk to a large group of the media or have someone talk for you but tracy ended up talking at this press conference for hours like she didn't deliver a statement she basically just Answered any questions people had. She even answered more questions from the media than she was answering from the police. The police were standing right next to her, you know, throughout this entire conference, and they noticed that there were a lot of very, you know, big details that Tracy was just openly telling to the media that she hadn't even told the police. As I said, Tracy talked on this panel for a very long time. Like she just just talked and talked and talked. And there's also one point in the press conference where she's talking about the driver of the other car and she says, quote, whoever this person is that was with you, you obviously know him, but he's ruined my life. Please just tell us who he is because you won't get in any trouble at all. It wasn't your fault. And when the police hear Tracy say that, they kind of look at each other very confused. They're like, why is Tracy calling the shots right now? Like, why is Tracy telling this getaway driver that if he comes forward with the name of the passenger that he won't get in trouble. Like, he was the initiator of the road rage incident. He was the one that was driving very close. He's the one that also pulled over, and right after his friend had killed Lee, he drove his friend away from the crime scene. So, of course, this man is going to be in trouble, but they just thought it was very odd that Tracy would say something like that. There was also another point in the press conference where she had told the media what time it was she told the media that the time was 10 after 10 but to the police she had said it was 10 before 10 so shortly after this press conference the police had a really bad feeling about Tracy in particular so they slowed down the manhunt for the passenger and the driver and even looking for a dark Ford Sierra and they started to look at it from a different angle where Tracy could have done all of this. Later on that day, the autopsy had came out and the autopsy showed that Lee was stabbed with what seemed to be a pen knife 42 times in the throat, his back, his front, his neck, and very repeatedly and rapidly. 42 stabs, that usually would take a very long time. You know, your arm would start to get tired. You would go very slowly but in this situation, what it looked like was it was very quick and very rapid, sort of like a hammer hammering a nail into a wall. The medical examiners also pointed out that this attack looked very motivated and passionate. It didn't seem like something that could be done out of a simple moment of anger. They also found in Lee's hand 80 to 100 strands of Tracy's hair as if Lee was trying to defend himself against Tracy. When Tracy was asked about this though, she claimed that when she came to and she was cradling uh, Lee, he attempted at grabbing onto her hair as a way to pull himself up. So, that's basically her reasoning of why there were so many strands of hair found in his hands. They got one witness statement from a teenage girl that lived across the street and she said that it was winter time so the windows were closed but she could distinctively hear at that time of night a man's voice yelling followed by a much softer voice which was believed to be a woman's voice. She said that the yelling went on for about 15 minutes until Till it stopped altogether but she didn't really look out her window or anything. She just assumed that two people were getting into a fight. So th- later on that day that is when the police went back to the crime scene and blocked it all off and started to investigate the entire area to try to pick up on some things that they might have missed the first time around. As they were searching the area they found pieces of a pen knife as well as a spring of a pen knife. And they also found a black beanie in a bush nearby and when examining this beanie they found small strands of white hair all inside of the beanie so they sent the beanie in for testing to see what that was about. They also started to take note of the area that the car was parked and they noticed that the road in particular was a very narrow road. It wasn't the type of road where two cars side by side could fit through. There was no concerning tire marks anywhere around the area and they're assuming that if Lee had parked in front of Keeper's Cottage and this black car had parked behind them, that black car would then have to go around Lee's car in order to drive off and there would just be no way for the car to do that without its tire hitting the grass or the dirt or even the snow because of how narrow this road was. And so the Beanie eventually came back uh, from testing and they found that it was positive for white cat hair and ironically Tracy actually had a black and white cat so they took some of the cat hair from her cat and sent it in for testing and they found an exact match to the white hair that was found on the beanie and the white cat hair meaning that this was indeed Lee's beanie. That's when they also took a witness statement from the man that came out of Keeper's cottage when he found Tracy and Lee. And from his statement compared to Tracy's statement, Tracy said from her statement that when the man came out from Keeper's cottage, she was in the middle of cradling Lee and she was crying because she didn't know what to do. But from the man himself, he said that when he went to the bottom of the driveway, he said that Tracy was standing with her to towards him and she was facing out into the woods while Lee's body lied on the ground. Now when he saw this he kind of put two and two together with Lee's bloody body and Tracy standing right there so he ran inside the house and called the police immediately. So that was yet again another thing that did not add up with Tracy's story. So the more the police started to look into this the more they just got so much more confused. They didn't know what to believe. They didn't know what what was right, what was wrong. On December 4th of 1996, the day after the press conference, Tracy had been trying for a couple days to keep her story straight, but as I was saying with all of this new evidence, such as Lee's beanie being found, the pieces of the pen knife being found, the whole investigation of the area, and seeing that there was no tire track, the witness at Keeper's Cottage, you know, all this new evidence was coming forward that kind of looked at Tracy as the killer and this made Tracy very very overwhelmed because she knew that she couldn't keep up with all of her lies and make it align with all of this new evidence that was being presented. So that day that is when Tracy had attempted to take her own life through an overdose but she had survived. That same exact day however two really big witnesses came forward claiming to have seen Lee's White Ford Escort on the night of the murder. They said that they saw the car in the papers and they distinctly remember seeing that car on that specific night and they actually saw the car as it was turning on the road of Keeper's Cottage. But what was very important about this witness statement is that they said that they clearly remember the car turning on the same road that had Keeper's Cottage but they distinctively remember not seeing any car following them. They said that if there was a black car on their tail the entire time or was flashing their brights or just being a disruption, they would very clearly remember that because that is a very dramatic thing. They clearly remember seeing that car driving on that road, but there was no car behind them. So with that witness statement, they were able to somewhat prove along with the evidence of no tire tracks at Keeper's Cottage that there was indeed no car at all following them and at that point they felt they had enough evidence to arrest Tracy. So then on December 7th of 1996, six days after the murder, Tracy was taken out of the hospital and arrested for the murder of Lee Harvey. And so whilst Tracy was awaiting trial, that is when the police started to gather even more evidence against her. So they took Tracy's clothes that she was wearing that night and a forensic analyst had analyzed specifically her boots. After examining her leather boots, they know noticed that on her left boot, there was a small and rounded poke on it, kind of like a stab in the leather, and it had the same exact shape as what would be found on a pen knife. And what they could tell through this is that since the puncture of the leather was very deep, they assumed that this knife had been in her boot for a very long time, thus making this a premeditated crime. So then on July 1st of 1987 that was the very first day of Tracy's trial and when Tracy showed up to her trial she was bombarded with the media and the press with all of these flashing cameras and reporters because as I said this was a very big case and it's so weird to watch. If you watch the footage of her walking to the courthouse before she has this trial she was sort of posing as she went in there she was continuously flipping around her hair she had her makeup done she had a blazer and slack um like pantsuit you know how like sometimes runway models will go down the runway with like a blazer and slacks but they'll kind of put their one hand in their slack pocket as a way to like pose as they're walking down That is exactly what Tracy was doing all the way up there. Like she had her one hand in her one pocket. She was legit like posing for the cameras as she went up there to try to defend herself against a murder charge. So on the first day of trial that is when the police had brought in new evidence that they had found while she was awaiting trial and that included the clothing she was wearing that night. They brought the actual Clothing to the courtroom to physically show the jury and everyone watching exactly what they were looking at. They pulled out her orange turtleneck sweater that she was wearing the night of the murder and they were specifically pointing at the top of her turtleneck. They noted that with the amount of blood that was found on Lee, if Tracy were to have been cradling him, she would have had blood all over her sweater but coincidentally there was not that much blood found on her sweater and the only blood that was found on her sweater looked to be sprayed blood they noted that the lethal stab the stab that killed lee was a stab to his carotid artery carotid artery Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I pronounce a lot of things wrong. In his neck, which when punctured, it leads to the spraying of blood, meaning that that spray of blood could not have ended up on her sweater if she wasn't the one committing the actual crime. They also brought out her boot and noted the puncture in the boot. There was a bunch of witnesses that came forward in the witness box to talk about what they saw that night and their recollections of that night then on July 14th of 1997, that is when Tracy took the stand to defend herself. She gave the same exact road rage story as she had always been saying this entire time, but similar to the media press conference, she did not just tell the story and that was it. She continued to tell every single detail and went on and on and and on. It took the whole afternoon to tell her story and then followed into the next day of that whole afternoon and then followed into half of the third day just to get her story across. Somehow she was able to extend this two to three hour crime into a three-day story. Now, oversharing is actually a big sign of lying and the prosecutor in this situation Situation, David Kriegman, he just simply let Tracy tell her story. So then on that fourth day, the next day, he took her entire story and dissected it and pointed out all of the contradictions in front of the entire jury and court. So David continued to take apart her story piece by piece, compare her line of events with what was found at the crime scene. He pulled out witness statements that didn't line up with her story he also caught her a couple times while she was telling her story mixing up times and settings he essentially just tore her up in front of the entire court made her look like a fool of herself and tracy couldn't do anything except sit there and watch all of her mistakes being presented in front of her in the entire court. As I said, Tracy was typically the type of person to have a long story for every single question, but every time David asked her, well, how can you explain this? Can you explain that? Why did you say this, but then say that? Her answers following all of those was just simply, I don't know or I don't remember. And this was the very first time that Tracy had not remembered anything or that she didn't know anything. As I said, she usually took a question and made it into a five-page essay. So the fact that she was saying, I don't know or I don't remember, clearly showed that Tracy was starting to get very nervous. And on July 29th of 1997, that is when the jury had came to a verdict and found Tracy Andrews guilty for the murder of Lee Harvey and was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 14 years. The court said that after she received her sentencing, she just shook her head once in a no movement, but she showed absolutely no emotion, no tears, no remorse. The only time she did show tears is when she had to say goodbye to her family before going into the police car and heading off to prison. As far as the aftermath of all of this, in April of 1999, after two years in prison, that is when Tracy had confessed and told that her road rage story was completely made up. She said that she did indeed kill Lee, but it was all in self-defense. But the court didn't really believe this. They felt like with Tracy's history in past relationships, she was known to have very violent tendencies. They also found it very hard that this was in self-defense, considering that Lee was found to be stabbed 42 times, including the back while Tracy only left the crime scene with two black eyes and some missing hair. Criminologist on Tracy's case actually said quote, "When we ask the question, "Why do we think Tracy Andrew stabbed Lee Harvey?" It was because she felt that Lee was hers and he was her possession. This wasn't a relationship that was about love. It was a relationship that was about control and ownership. And in ending someone's life, you are completely possessing them. And that was what was going on that evening when she chose to take Lee's life. Quite recently, and unfortunately, in 2011, after Tracy had served her minimum 14 years for the stabbing of her fiance, Lee Harvey, 42 times as well as lying about it constantly on the stand to police, to media, she was released from prison and back out into society at just 42 years old. And the most recent thing I could find about Tracy was in 2017, uh, there were a lot of photos taken of her just out and about, and it's actually quite infuriating. There was photos taken of her going shopping. There were photos taken of her on expensive boat rides with her new husband, Paul Goldsworthy. As far as today, she is now 53 years old and has been spotted shopping, wearing nice clothing, getting her hair done frequently, partying with friends, and just simply living her life amongst you and I as if nothing happened. In my head, I thought Lying on the stand was like a huge no. Like, you cannot do that. But apparently, like, apparently you can because this lady is literally just out and about in Birmingham. Lee was so young. Lee was 25 years old. Lee had a daughter. That daughter now has to grow up without a father. Lee had his entire life ahead of him and she took the life of that man and now she is, you know, getting her hair done, going shopping, like living her luxurious life as if that never happened. But The daughter of Lee Harvey, Danielle, and the daughter of Tracy, Carla, as I said growing up, they were kind of sisters to one another and even to this day they are still very very close friends and they actually rekindled their relationship back in 2010 where they found out they were both pregnant and they were due like a couple weeks away from each other and so as far as today in 2022 Carla and Danielle are both married and with kids. Danielle says in an interview quote it's obviously really hard for her talking about Carla." Because her mom killed my dad. But whenever we message each other, we sign off with a kiss. I don't blame her for my dad's death. It was her mom's fault, not Carla's. What Tracy did devastated both of our lives. I lost my dad, but Carla lost her mom. We were both only five when her mom was jailed. Now, I hope the future can be better than the past. Who knows? Maybe our new babies may even grow up being a part of each other's lives. Now that would really be a happy ending. As for Tracy's daughter, Carla, she doesn't really speak to the media very much. She tends to just live a very private life now. That is the end of today's story. If you guys found today's story interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube, but if you're watching on Spotify or Apple, make sure to rate it five stars because it really helps me out a lot. And if you want to follow me on any of my socials, like my Instagram, that will be linked down below in the description of the youtube video as well as my p.o box if you would like to send me anything if you're watching the visual version hopefully i'll have something really cool up here for you to look at hopefully it won't look like a mess um But that's okay, because that's basically my channel. Actually, pretty on brand. I'm not going to change it. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Make sure to be safe out there. Drink some water. Give give a, give someone a really big hug today, you know? Even if that person is yourself, <laughs> give yourself a great big hug today. Um, make sure to drink some water. Read a good book. Go outside. Get some fresh air. And I will see you guys next week. Bye.